One of the questions that's most important for us on the AI and industry podcast is, but how do you get that to work? Oftentimes, if you read the websites of artificial intelligence vendor companies, whether they're working in marketing or healthcare or whatnot, of course, without them having to be bad people, they have to convey it in a very simple way. It has to be push button. It has to produce results quickly and easily. And some of that marketing is borderline inevitable. But at the end of the day, the question that business people need to know, in addition to who's using it, what results are they getting, which is a big part of our editorial focus on techemergence.com. But another factor that business people need to know is, okay, but how do you get it to work? What does the actual setup look like? What does it take to integrate this? What does it take to actually shake a result out so that we have a system that's providing more value to the business than it is taking away time and resources? And that's what we aim to get down to in this interview on the Tech Emergence Podcast with natural language processing. So NLP is a very common term now in the artificial intelligence world. Lexalytics is the name of the company that we're knuckled down with. And Paul Barba is the chief scientist at Lexalytics. We talked to Paul about what is possible with NLP for customer service and text analysis purposes in business today. And he breaks out the kind of three main categories that he likes to think sort of NLP having in terms of its capabilities in, in business today, which I thought was pretty convenient, helped to kind of put a, a cap around the sort of realm of capabilities for AI. And then he also goes into detail about what integration looks like. What does it take to take a company with a certain volume of inbound customer service requests and actually train a system to garner some degree of an understanding of sentiment or an understanding of what terms to cluster with each other to understand are within a certain category or segment, and what does it take to continue to edit those over time? If you have a system, and Lexalytics does this, that analyzes social media, there's some new emoji that's going to come out two weeks from now, or there's some new format for Facebook posts of a certain kind that's going to come out from now. There's going to be some new term that people are going to use, new slang words, some new device or gadgets that's going to come out that will be words that have never been entered into this system before. And this isn't going to have to adjust and evolve and grow with the company as it changes. So what does it take to tinker with and adjust and ensure that a system grows with a company uh, as opposed to just locking in the words from five years ago that we thought would be relevant, which certainly would not be an effective use case of AI. Paul is very, very candid about how these things get set up, what adjustment actually looks like, how much hands-on work is actually involved, which I appreciated a lot and I thought it shed a lot of light on what NLP in the real world looks like in terms of setup, in terms of forethought, and in terms of adjustment to ensure that it remains an excellent an application within a business. So without further ado, this is Paul with Lexalytics here on AI and Industry. So Paul, NLP, sentiment analysis, probably terms that the business audience has heard. However, I would guess, even if they've done some Googling on this stuff, that they may not be familiar with some of the more common business use cases for these kinds of technologies. When you look across kind of the broad sweep of your client base, the businesses that are using the NLP and sentiment work that, that you folks are doing at Lexalytics. What are common use cases today, things that are driving business value? Sure. I would say there's three 
primary uses of NLP today. The first is sentiment. People want to know what is the general tone of the discussion around me, my products, my competitors, the industries I'm interested in. And so this is a case where you know customers are dealing with just so much data out there, so much stuff being said on Twitter and a number of other feeds and news and stuff like that, that just getting a, a high-level you know, view of is this something I have to worry about? You know, let me be reactive and let me get on top of any issues as they arise is a major you know, driving force for natural language processing, and that's you know, sentiment analysis in particular. Cool. Another one is just taxonomies of just sort of understanding and categorizing text going in. So a lot of businesses build up understanding of how they view the world, what's important, what buckets they categorize their customers or their products or the discussions around them. And you have just this sort of raw stream of text, which doesn't fall into neat categories sort of on its own. And so figuring out how to group those, how to make the computer sort of more responsive to the way we use language, the way we think about the world, rather than having to sort of filter through and find things sort of manually. So that's a major use case, and, and that makes it much easier to be sort of scientific and count, you know, what's going on out there. Is the volume changing on these topics? Stuff like that. Got it. And then the third use case that we see a lot of is just sort of discovery of, you know, finding out, well, what is out there that I didn't know I should be aware of? What vendors are coming into the marketplace that I didn't know I should be looking at? Things like that. What topics are trying to be raised about my products. So it's sort of a combination of what's new under the sun that I didn't know about, the stuff I do care about, how can I measure and track and understand that at a more sort of sophisticated level? And then in general, you know, what is the sort of the nuance? What is the stuff I have to pay attention to? What is the sort of sentiment? What is the worries people have? Okay, cool. So this is nice to be able to kind of put things into, you know, some identifiable categories. And I imagine there's little outlier cases and places where these overlap, but it's neat to think about sentiment, taxonomies, and discovery as sort of different kind of flavors of applications of NLP in some way, shape, or form. When I think about sentiment, it it seems to be something that's easy enough to understand. I I would imagine that, let's say, you sell cars or, you know, Toyota sells, you know, some model of a car or something like that. They may be able to garner some degree of the emotional satisfaction, let's put it, the pissed-offness or opposite of pissed-offness of customers who are complaining about, let's say, certain kinds of issues, whether it's muffler stuff or whether it's tire stuff or whether it's engine stuff or or however they want to identify or categorize, they may be able to say, okay, if we look across the chat feeds and the phone scripts and everything coming in from, you know, the southeast region of the US, for example, if they're just looking at some geo region, they may be able to say, man, we're we're having an inordinate number of people complain about you know, car window issues, like power window stuff, like lots of anger about that in like the last six months compared to basically anywhere else in the US, what the heck is going on? So that would be sort of like a coaxing forth of an emotional tone that might help them solve a problem? Is that an, an example of a use case or is there a more yes. accurate one? Okay. No, no, that's an excellent example. It's really about, you know, at, at a very broad level is are things going well or bad? But then, if you know, you really get the value by digging into, okay, well, what is it about it? This car is selling well. Why? You know, what should we do more in the next cars? You know, what should we avoid? What's actually driving these conversations? So, you know, the sentiment is almost sort of a marker of here's something important and then whatever it connects to is of interest. Cool. Yeah, so that could be an example thereof. Taxonomies, I think, is a little bit more unique and maybe not something a lot of folks think of. You know, talk about sort of an example of a business use case of taxonomies. 
Sure. So there's that's a very broad sort of concept. So, you know, it can be anything from we've had customers interested in routing emails internally. So if you're a big yeah, company okay. with lots of different divisions and lots of different email addresses, and so you've got suppliers and vendors and customers, and they're all sending emails, hopefully to the right location, but invariably just choosing the email address, you know, on hand, support versus, you know, services versus whatever. And yeah. there'd often be this sort of internal chain of, oh, okay, well, Bob passes it to Mary, who passes it to Susan, and you know, two hours later, after interrupting everyone else, it gets where it belongs. So this sort of question of, okay, can we look at an email as it comes in and route it automatically to the right place? And so defining what that routing tree should be is very specific to a business, right? There's yep. no generic, oh, well, this is how you organize a totally business. There not, isn't. Yeah. In broad senses, but not specific. It can also be, you know, organizing data for, you know, who should read it or if they're going to present it out to their own customers. We've had, you know, clients who want to serve many different customers of theirs, you know, topical content. So here's the people interested in airlines and here's the people interested in restaurants and here's the people interested in specifically fast food restaurants. And it would be a value to us if all the fast food restaurants sort of content could be grouped together as it comes in and presented as a single unit. So there's a bunch of different cases where there's something in your business that's categorizable, that is sort of broken down into known topics or known departments or whatever, and you just want to sort of match this flowing you know, feed of raw text of just normal language to one of these many different sort of buckets. And so this is a very sort of custom problem, and it's very broad, right? So it, it can use all different sort of technologies, but if you think about something like food, right, well, there's endless variants of food. So how do you write sort of one thing that can catch all the different ways this concept of food is used, right? All the different ways someone said, I'd like a sub or, oh boy, I can't wait for pizza or, yeah. you know, many other things without having to get bogged down and listing every food out there. Uh, okay, okay, got it. So this might be, let's just take the example of maybe a hotel. You know, there might be someone who's maybe responsible for improving the customer experience inside the rooms or something, and maybe someone else who's responsible for the lawn and the garden and the pool or something. And maybe, I mean, I'm just coming up with this offhand, just listening to what you're saying, but you know, we pick up on and build out sort of what are the keys, trends, patterns, words, context of things that have to do with the inside of the hotel room. And maybe we make sure that that stuff goes into a stream and is sorted for the person who needs to kind of handle that. Yeah. And another one, even if it isn't to different people, just sometimes when you've got these raw data sets of the raw sentiment, you can get lost in the weeds. So if you think about all the different things that might be said about a room and how it's sort of dirty, you know, there's endless complaints about dust oh, yeah. or bed bugs or, you know, gross things in the sheets and on and on. And so if you get each of those as a separate topic, it becomes very difficult to understand what's going on. And as a hotel, you've got a sense of, okay, maybe my rooms are dirty in different locations. That's something I can deal with. That is a useful concept to me. If you can tell tell me people are saying this room is dirty, then that's something actionable I can, you know, go yell at somebody about. And so each hotel might have slightly different distinctions of, you know, for one, the linen is part of that, but for somebody else, that might be a separate little topic of, well, you know, keeping the linens clean is a separate person's job or is a separate thing I would deal with. We outsource that to, you know, a third party. So if you can separate that out, that would be interesting to me. Cool. Okay. So this is neat. And I'm actually interested in how this sort of works in terms of nuts and bolts here. AI products are often kind of conveyed as, or people either think of them as 
astronomically too complex to ever work, which is you know clearly not the case. There's a lot of use cases in, in NLP in this this domain that really are driving value in business already. Or that you know you push a button and it solves your business problem, which again is a little bit too far in the opposite extreme because there's individual calibrations for individual businesses. If we take this notion of a taxonomy. You know, you had mentioned customer service and routing emails, massively common. You know, when I look at kind of enterprise or bigger businesses in general, data security, customer service, these are like baseline places where AI is getting implemented. You know, not not everybody needs cameras that can know a smile from a frown or we're we're just, we're not quite there right now. But there's a lot of stuff in these chat flows where there's a ton of this kind of unstructured text from a thousand different sources that's being made sense of. So the routing of emails is a very common problem. I can imagine that will be a somewhat ubiquitous thing in the enterprise in the future. What does it look like to get that set up? Like you said, every company is different. You know, if, you, if you're working with a huge chain of car dealerships, you are going to deal with a whole different set of problems than an e-commerce store that sells furniture at scale. Yes. So when it comes to the integration process, my guess is, you know, that if someone's working with a company like yours, they're going to have to work with some of your experts and expertise, and they're going to have to take some of their subject matter experts who can think strategically about how this is orchestrated and instrumented. What does implementation look like realistically to kind of you know nail down and tweak out all the ways that these things get routed because they're so darn custom? What's it look like in real life? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And there are lots and lots of little details. So but basically what's going on is we take sort of this sort of a hierarchical approach of we have an engine, we understand language to a certain extent, just in general. So out of the box, we can do some sentiment, we can do some categorization. That's good enough to sort of do a, you know, see that there's some value there, get started quickly, but as you note, is not going to be fine-tuned to a customer. We then provide general sort of industry customizations. We call them industry packs, or just, okay, here's a bunch of configurations around hotels. Here's in general what hotels seem to care about. We talk to our hotel customers, find out what they're looking for, what would be helpful for them. That gets you part of the way there. But then you've got this one more jump, which is, okay, but this customer is unique and specific and has their own view of the world, and their own problem, their own resources, their own challenges. And so there you get into any number of different approaches based on what the problem is. So we've tried to be fairly pragmatic about you know, what technology we bring to bear in terms of you know, what works. So there's a lot of machine learning. There's a lot of word embeddings, which are the sort of natural language process uh, technique to understand how words are related to each other, sort of like synonyms being able to generate those automatically from representative content. But it's basically about the customer saying, look, this is what I'm looking for. Either here's some clue words, here's some ideas that would be helpful to you, or here's me having bucketed it, right? So with an email example, you know, they may have been sending the email to the right place anyways. So that forward chain of how the email came in and where it ended up is a clue. Okay, it ended up there. So therefore, this piece of text should end up here. So therefore, pieces of text like it, can you now train a model? But the biggest challenge, to my mind, of most of these AI problems is just getting sort of the plumbing correct, right? Yeah. Uh, because what ends up happening is your email tree changes, right? People change their needs, new departments come online, so you've got to go back and sort of edit that. Anything sort of hard-coded is going to become brittle and break. What we see with language in general is that language is incredibly dynamic, especially if you look at something like Twitter. You know, every day there's a new phrase being bandied about, new emojis come out every, you know, couple months or whatever it is. What works one day, you know, a year from now may not work 
And really the only way to deal with that is to be monitoring, uh, yes. to be spot checking, to be watching for drifts, and to have easy places to sort of pull them out and put them back together. So the big picture is, depending on the amount of customization, if it's close to an existing problem, it can just sort of be plug and play. But a lot of what it is is just building up pipelines of how do we get feedback loops so that when somebody says that was wrong, the system improves? How do we get monitoring in so that we know when something's going wrong? How do we make it configurable? How do we figure out you know, how to interpret humans' corrections, right? So oftentimes, if you put something in a wrong category, a human can tell you what the system did wrong. Oh, no, no, that's a misunderstanding of this word. You know, It wasn't being used in that context. Here's some clues I can see and I can point you at that mean this was wrong. How do you efficiently capture that from the person who knows and really respect their time so that whatever they tell you, you're able to have the system make use of and, and sort of solve their problems better and better? That's really big. And, and I think that this is an important consideration because it's very different from a software that will always work the same. It's, it's just a bunch of if-thens. It's like you know some simple marketing automation software. When you click a segment and you click to send, like you're good. It's going to do the same things all the time. But like you had mentioned, you know the, the words you're trying to categorize that are coming in from social are just straight up different than they used to be you know, however many months ago. You know, Facebook now lets you do this kind of post that has comes through in this weird way, and we have to interpret it in a different way. Or these new terms are becoming more popular, and we have to find a more accurate way of bucketing them than we are now. So there's kind of a living, breathing element to really making this work. And, and I think that that's an important thing for people to consider, that AI systems of this kind that are kind of gleaning data from the real world and sort of making inference-based decisions are sort of going to have to have learning curves like people do for a rough analogy there. Does that normally just involve, you know, someone from either the the client company that you work with or someone from, you know, your company, the vendor company in this case, who's sort of just in there in the back once a week looking at maybe what went right or wrong and maybe having a quick meeting and saying, hey, is there anything we need to touch up on? Is there more of an ongoing process where errors get logged somewhere and then someone sees a critical threshold and says, okay, we need to have a meeting and retweak this? What does this monitoring and retooling, tweaking process look like in the real world? So this has been something that we have been redesigning for the past year, year and a half or so. Basically, before it was that, right? It was a lot of manually kind of keeping track of what was going on, looking for mistakes, building in mis- you know fixes for that. The problem started to show up, though, that that only scales so far. So as an example, I think we have 15 to 20 languages now that we support. Yeah, um, that's and tough. each of those has maybe 10 machine-learned models inside them, a couple models for sentiment, for entities, part of speech tagging. There's all this sort of whole chain of processes that has to happen. So suddenly, you know, 15 times 10, suddenly we had hundreds of models of varying ages, of varying degrees of, you know, tweaking and who worked on this and when the data was sort of scattered about, trying to figure out what is the top priority, which are we working on next? We could do it. It was just becoming slower and slower and slower and more and more of my job was just just managing this process. So ever since then, we've been really focused for the last year and a half about feedback loops and about monitoring drift and really about being sort of respectful about human time, whether it's it's our own or sort of the customers of not annotating things you don't need to about having the machine, if it's a small tweak, be able to make those, which then opens up a whole nother series of, well, as soon as you're relying on the computer, right, to make decisions, it can go well off the rails, as we've seen, you know, with a number of high profile AI sort of failures out there that, you know, 
there's danger in sort of trusting these. They're going to make mistakes. And so you need ways to catch that quickly, to undo that, right? Get them back to the good status, bring in appropriate help, right? So knowing when a problem demands a content expert versus a machine learning expert, right? Who gets called in and, and when? And so, again, this is all sort of plumbing issues of monitoring yeah. and having efficient you know, UIs and efficient workflows. And to my mind, this is really the key to most machine learning, to most AI. The algorithms are amazing and obviously need to happen for any of this to work. But the biggest problems tend to be data cleanliness and data quality and what happens when something changes and how do you go from having five models to 50 to 500 to 5,000? How do you scale up efficiently? And so that's what I believe is sort of the key problem facing AI going forward. What we're trying to work on is just make that efficient. And I think, well, I mean, you're touching on, I know we're right coming right up on time, but this is, I think, a great point to make note on and have people chew on is there is still this big hurdle in the AI world where there are many parts of this that are wizard skills still. You know, it's not a CRM where, you know, you can take anybody who graduated from middle school and just kind of like explain what buttons you push to do what and it's over. There's kind of some complexity here and cracking kind of the UI part. How do we kind of keep tabs on this, keep touching this and making it work in a way that doesn't require a bunch of people with really big degrees to think super duper hard for extended periods of time? And it sounds like that's a problem that you, know, you guys are aware of and are trying to work on consciously. Yeah, we, we definitely hit that. The, the degree of difficulty in scaling, the number of data scientists needed. You can't solve these really big problems. You can't solve having super customized results for every single one of your customers and all of their customers. To the extent that these every engagement, every model requires an expert to get involved, there's just only so far you can go with that. We're a small company. We try to be lean and agile. So we've really focused on, on this problem of how do you do this quickly, efficiently, safely, what plumbing is in the background is needed to just make a large system involving, you know, potentially tens of thousands of models hold up. And I think if you get that core level of stability in there, then you can do some really cool stuff at some really uh, great scales. Good, good to make note on. And I think for the people who are tuned in, you know, be sure to be asking that kind of question. I mean, if you're going to take on a system of this kind, you're going to be leveraging NLP in some way, shape or form, get a, get a really solid understanding of what the ongoing kind of tweaks and adjustments look like? Who needs to be involved? How much expertise? How much time? I bet you it's going to vary a lot company to company. And I think the folks who are on their game are sort of going to have a pretty vigilant effort to aim to improve that and, and make that usable for, for the business crowd. So probably something worth noting for uh, those of you who are considering NLP in some way. Paul, that's all that we have for time, but I sincerely appreciate you being able to share your insights with us here on AI and industry. So thanks uh, so much. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, 
and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.